got married in 2014, and the next day, um, or a day and a half, I guess, later, we flew over to Australia, and not for our honeymoon, but we literally started Revival the week we were married, and in the first 11 weeks of us being happily married, we had 67 church services around the nation of Australia, and we're still happily married <laughs> after all of that. Amen. So it was a little embarrassing for first revival. You know, they said, man, how long have I been married? And we were like, about 36 hours now. <laughs> and I'm so blessed to be married to a woman of God who loves God more, more than she loves me. And she has a stronger walk with God than I have. She has a stronger prayer life than I have. And I'm thankful for that. Amen, amen, amen. In the book of Matthew chapter 10, I'm not going to start with a text because I've got so many texts to read. And I sent the media team way too many verses of scripture for tonight. But if I feel accurately in my spirit what the Lord's going to do tonight and tomorrow night. I feel like these next two nights, tonight and tomorrow night, will sort of be a joint session together. And when my time is up, I am preaching with a stopwatch. So just feel relieved in the spirit. And when my time is up, we're just going to stop. Whether it's the time or the Lord sweeps in, I'm fine with that. But I'll stop wherever the Lord would have me stop tonight, and we'll probably pick up where we leave off tomorrow night. But we've been able to travel throughout Australia, and I'll get back to Matthew 10 in a moment. But um, we've been back several times, and we love the people of Australia and the kangaroos and all of that stuff. Um, I was privileged, and I've talked about this a little bit, but I was privileged to go back last year, this time last year, for their national, their general conference. What was so unique about that is we've traveled throughout the nation of Australia to different churches and meeting different friends, or meeting different pastors and families and ministers and, and becoming friends with so many. And being able to go to the general conference, seeing all of them together in one place was a unique experience. And I remember on the very first night of that general conference, the missionary over in Asia... Brother Alan Shom. I don't know if you've ever had Brother Alan Shom here, but many people are familiar with Brother Shom. And they're, they're, I think he, is it his brother or his dad? I, I get them mixed up. But they're the Shom family, they, they have several ministers that, that are missionaries overseas and very mighty apostolic people of God. And he preached the very first night and preached about spiritual warfare on the first night of that general conference. And Man, I sat there as if I was a saint myself, sitting in the pew, just receiving that word for me. And uh, I remember going to the altar, January the 2nd, 2020, and that's when everything changed for me. When the Lord spoke to me in that altar so tangibly, I knew it was God. When the Lord said, prepare yourself, because everything is about to change. That's what the Lord spoke to me and prepare yourself. And as I meditated in that, I felt the Lord quickening in my spirit to prepare myself, prepare my spirit, 
prepare my walk with God because everything was about to change. I felt the Lord say, the way you do ministry is about to change. There's coming a transition. Everything's going to change. And, and I, I didn't think, I didn't, God didn't give me any details. And that's usually how the Lord is. He gives you direction without details. Because if God gives you direction with details, it's no longer a walk of faith. If he gives you direction and says, all right, put in your GPS. And then you've got this GPS, this spiritual GPS. You're going to go two miles and turn left. And then you're going to do a three-day fast. And then you're going to get this answer. And it's going to take you here. And, and then you're going to preach there. And then you're going to go over there and witness to that person. And they're going to say yes and get baptized. And then you're going to go there and you're going to do this. It wouldn't be a walk of faith. It would be a walk of knowledge and understanding. Which is why oftentimes God doesn't give us the details. Because we walk by faith. Which is why when God called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees in Genesis chapter 12. He just said, go to a land that I will show you. Leave your career. Leave your family. Leave everything you know behind and go. Somebody say go. Go. Where? To a land. What land? You start walking and then I'll show you. And he had to go tell his wife. He had to go tell his nephew. He had to go tell his mama. His daddy had just died. He had to go tell his family and say, hey, God has called us to the ministry. And they said, oh, good. Where is he? Where are we going? I don't know. How are we going to get there? We're just going to start walking. You must be out of your mind. He's not the author of confusion. See, there's a fine line between confusion and uncertainty. And that's where we often find ourselves when walking by faith. That fine line between confusion and uncertainty. It's easy to become confused with that concept because uncertainty can feel fearful at times when we don't know the details of where God is taking us. And when the Lord spoke to me that night and said, just prepare yourself, everything's about to change. I texted my wife who was back home in Texas and, and she confirmed what I felt and she said, I feel the same thing. We came home, we've been praying and that's, that, that's the day everything began to change for me. From that day until this day, from January the 2nd until this day, I have felt unsettled, even unfulfilled. And the reason why I bring that sort of transparency to you tonight is because I've realized I'm not the only one who feels that. And our travels, which haven't been as, as extensive in the last year because of COVID, but in our travels, I have met many people that have said the same thing. I feel unsettled. I feel unfulfilled. Here I have been living for God all this time and all of a sudden just boom. I haven't backslidden. I'm not going to hell. I, I'm not doing that. But the thing I've been doing all along, I just feel unfulfilled. Like what I've, I'm doing now is just, it's not enough. Like there's something more. <laughs> feel the Lord has impressed in my spirit that there's a lot of people in East Wind that feels like there's something more. I, I, I had a title for this, 
And I thought, oh man, that might get me fired. <laughs> so so I, 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 I made another title and then I made my first title a subtitle. You can't get fired from a subtitle. I figured that out. So my main title of this is Apostolic Opportunity. Subtitle, I'm tired of going to church. He didn't get up. We're all right. (laughs) I'm tired of going to church. Now, maybe I need to explain that before they fire me. Forsake not the assembling of the saints. I believe that. and I believe we need to go to church. But there's just been this unsettling in my spirit. And I remember getting ready to preach uh, just before the shutdown kind of occurred. And we were going to be driving to Houston, or it was a suburb of Houston that morning. It was about three hours from where we live in Austin. And I went to my closet and had some suits there and dress shirts there and ties there, you know. And I'm sitting there thinking, and it's early that morning because we got to drive three hours to get there in time for church at 11 or so that morning. And I'm sitting there looking at the difference. Okay, what color suit am I going to wear? Okay, if I wear that color, okay, okay, it goes with this shirt and this tie. Nothing wrong with all of that. But I was sitting there, and for whatever reason, I'm I'm a pretty decisive person. I usually go into the closet knowing what I'm going to pick. My wife and I, we laugh about this all the time. I, I go to the restaurant knowing what I'm going to order. And she's the type that is going to ask the waitress about everything on the menu, which is why we don't go to Baskin Robbins because she's going to try all 31 flavors. She's going to say, I want to try that vanilla. It's like, you've had vanilla a million times. No. And and uh, I, I'm sitting there in my closet. And I'm very indecisive that day. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to wear? And, oh, man, I don't, I don't want to wear that. And, oh, I don't wear those shoes. I don't, I don't wear this. I've already worn that. And I'm sitting there and I'm spending, I don't know how long I spent, but it felt like an eternity just sitting there staring at suits when I should have been praying for souls. <laughs> and I'm thinking, here I am. I, I'm now feeling convicted because I have spent more time debating on what suit I'm going to wear when I should have been praying for the souls that are going to be there in that service. I've spent more time debating what I was going to wear than I did praying for the people that were going to be there that day. Another time I felt that unsettling, which I felt it every day, but something that was very tangible. We were actually in Oregon and I was driving to preach on the other side of Portland and, and... Um, I was driving that morning by myself to church and I remember as I had pulled out of the parking lot where we were staying and it was about a 45 minute drive. I get on this main road and about 45, 50 uh, mile an hour speed limit and I get on the road and I start driving. I, I hadn't been driving more than two minutes and I see this homeless looking person, a lady, and you can see from a distance that she just appears to be homeless and, and her clothes would give that away and her demeanor would give that away and she was sort of stumbling and hobbling across that main road, not on a crosswalk, but just stumbling across that main road and she looked like she wasn't quite 
all there in her mind as if maybe she was, uh, had abused drugs or something and she was kind of talking to nobody. You could tell she was saying something and nobody was there to hear what she was saying. And, and my heart went out to her and I thought, man, look at this poor lady. She's stumbling across this main road on a cold morning. Probably, who knows where she's going. Maybe she's going to another drug house. Maybe, who knows where she, maybe she doesn't even know where she's going. And here I am dressed up nice in a warm car going to preach at a great church and and less than a minute later I see another lady walking down the street but this time she's on the sidewalk and I can tell that she didn't look homeless she she looked uh, healthy she she looked young and she had nice nicer clothes on she wasn't dressed up uh, per se but she had a pair of blue jeans on and a, a nice casual shirt and a jacket on and and from a distance I could tell you know, just a few things about her that she didn't look like the, the previous lady. She's walking down the sidewalk. But as I got closer, I noticed she was sort of cowered over just a little bit. And she was weeping and sobbing. And she was, she was in such pain and agony, emotionally maybe. I, she didn't look like she was in physical pain. She looked like she was in emotional grief and pain. And she was just weeping and she was holding herself kind of like this as she's walking down the street. And my mind began to wonder, what is she going through? And I was thinking, man, and my mind began to just Think all these different things. Maybe she's facing this. and Maybe there's domestic problems. And maybe there's this. And maybe she can't pay the bills. Or maybe this and maybe this. But there's something there that has caused her to cower over. And she's crying and she's weeping. And man, my heart went out for her. And I, here I am in, you know, a, in a nice suit on my way to church. And, and I just kind of started thinking, man, what would Jesus do in this moment? Would Jesus keep driving 45 minutes to go preach to the people who are already persuaded and saved? Or would he pull over the car and talk to the lady at the well? (laughs) I didn't know what to do, so I just did what I always did. I kept driving and I went to church. and, And there was just been something, something in my spirit this year that that has challenged me to be the church. To be the church. I remember being in Oregon, and and that's a long story in itself because we don't live in Oregon, but we've been in Oregon. In fact, we've only been at our home uh, since this time last year. We've only been at our home in Texas for about two weeks, and we've been in Oregon for most of the the rest of the time. And the Lord has positioned us there for a, a season. And we had been there. And and in fact, we we've tried to leave several times. And 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 not just leave to preach on a weekend, but we would try to leave to leave to 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 not come back to Oregon um, to to go back home or whatever. And. Uh, we have a truck and trailer that has stayed in Oregon at my father-in-law's church for several years. And so when we left Oregon back in June, I said, hey, let's take the trailer with us. It's been sitting here for three years. Let's, let's go back to Texas and take our trailer with us. It'll be fun, adventurous. You know, we can park it somewhere fun. And, and uh, we preached sort of our way out of Oregon. We preached at a couple different churches. And we left Oregon. And the moment we left the state boundary of Oregon, it was like the storm showed up. And the next day, the whale showed up and swallowed us whole. 
And in the next 36 hours, we had four blowout tires on the trailer. And if you've never driven a trailer, blowout tires on a trailer is not fun. You, we had to call companies that could come out and jack up this massive trailer, this fifth wheel trailer. And sometimes we would be on uh, the interstate. We were on an interstate. I forget what interstate it was at one point, 80, uh, 80 mile an hour speed limit. And we were about just feet away from the lane, you know, from the, the interstate. And we had to sit in our truck through the night waiting for somebody to come and help jack up our trailer so they could change our tire. And uh, all this nonsense, it was crazy what was going on. I ended up having to buy five new tires by the time we got halfway to Texas, which happened to be about Phoenix, Arizona. We got to Arizona and, I, and it was so bizarre. I was sitting at the discount tire place, discount tire, and I'm bringing the manager out because I had a tire that I wasn't sure if it needed to be replaced or not. And we're walking out to the trailer. As we're walking out to the trailer, I hear an explosion. Boom! I mean, everybody hits the deck in the parking lot. It was that tire that I was taking him out to, to inspect to see if we needed to get it replaced. And uh, he said, yeah, I think you need to replace that tire. <laughs> the, the truck and trailer were sitting still, parked, turned off, and <laughs> Again, my wife is closer to God than I am. And when we got everything settled and literally we're about to get back on the interstate to go to Texas, she said, wait, stop. Maybe we should pray about this. Pray about what? This ain't God. <laughs> we, should, we should pray about this. And I'm sitting in the back seat. She's in the driver's seat. Levi's taking a nap and she said, let's just stop and pray. I said, all right, we'll pray, whatever. We start praying and my wife goes into like, travail and intercessory, intercessory tongues and she's just speaking in tongues I'm sitting in the back just praying God give me the interpretation give me the interpretation what are you saying God I'm telling you we prayed for nearly two hours in that truck and all we know is that God took the peace away from us to get back on that interstate and to continue and God intervened and let us know that he was involved with everything that was going on that we needed to turn our truck around and go back to Oregon and, and I'm thinking we don't have the money to go back to Oregon we don't have, it doesn't make sense to go back to Oregon there, there's no logic there's no reasoning uh, okay God fine and he finally uh, he spanked us enough for us to uh, submit and humble ourselves to get on the uh, the interstate in the opposite direction and go back to Oregon. We get back to Oregon and I remember going and I had let the district know we're coming back to Oregon and so we started scheduling revivals and I mean, when you've had an, a, a, a divine sort of intervention and a traumatic experience like this and now you know you're in the will of God, man, you're about to see some stuff. You're thinking, man, if, I'm gonna go preach in cemeteries when I get back to Oregon. <laughs> I'm going to put cemeteries out of, I'm going to the hospitals and I'm putting this hospital out of business. They don't know what I am in the will of God. And the Lord has spoken to me and here I go. We get to church when we get to Oregon. And I'm telling you, it was the most dead, driest, boring service you could ever imagine. Even the worship team, they, they acknowledged it while they're worshiping. They're looking around at each other like, man, what's going on in here? They had to stop the music at one point and say, we just need to pray. There's something going on in this place. I get up to preach. I preach on the name of Jesus. I'm spitting and sweating and hollering and dancing around and everybody's responding and they get to the altar and it just, pfft, nothing. 
And I'm expecting to see this great revival. I'm expecting to see this great explosion. I mean, I'm ready to levitate. I'm ready to do some crazy stuff. And nothing happens. Now I feel like an idiot. And so I go to the altar. I preached and I went to the altar. And I began to pray. And people are done praying. They're starting to leave. And I'm weeping. And I said, God, we have been through hell. We have been through everything. We have been through a storm. We have been through so much just to get back in the will of God. And here we are. And I can't believe that this is why you brought me back to Oregon. Where's the revival you told me we were going to see? The Lord spoke to me and said, you're looking for it in the wrong place. He said, there's... This end time revival is not going to happen here in the church. It's going to happen out there. He said, the reason why I'm bringing you to churches is to edify the body, to bring unity to the body. God never said, stop going to church. But he did give me the understanding that we've got to be the church. He also gave me the understanding of what to expect when we do go to church. That we need to have an expectation that God is going to speak and God is going to move and people are going to receive the Holy Ghost and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And those things are going to take place. But the latter rain that is falling in these last days, the Lord gave me a vision. He gave me a word. He gave me a direction. He said, stop looking for that end time harvest in the building. He said, it's too big for the building. It's too great for the building. What I have designed to do in these last days is not going to happen here in the building. It's going to happen in homes. It's going to happen on the streets. It's going to happen in prisons. It's going to happen in hospitals. It's going to happen in the neighborhoods. It's going to happen in the parks. It's going to happen in the world. I began to think about it and I thought, well, that makes sense. If we're going to see a huge harvest, we've got to go to where there hasn't been a harvest. We've already been harvested. All of us here, we've already been harvested. I'm not looking for a harvest tonight. You've already been harvested. You've already been persuaded. You've already been saved, if you will. But what I'm looking for is to encourage and edify the body with the word of God to unify us in spirit and in truth to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That afternoon, I, I couldn't go take a nap. I couldn't hardly go. I couldn't go out to eat. I just began to read and pray. And in Matthew 10 and 7, Jesus said to his disciples, as you go, somebody say go. go. Somebody say preach. preach. He didn't say pastor. He said preach. I've studied this and I have found that what he's talking about here is not somebody that's a licensed minister, a pastor of a church behind a pulpit preaching. No, this type of preaching is simply this, a public proclamation of what you believe. In order for it to be public, you only need one. He said, go. Everybody say go. Go. 
Everybody say preach. preach. I'm getting out on thin ice here. But I, every one of you is called to go. Every one of you is called to preach. Every one of you is called to go. And every one of you is called to speak and to witness the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to deter here. Okay, Acts chapter 9. I'm going to give you a little, little insight here to the Apostle Paul. We know that in Acts chapter 9 that God spoke to Ananias, and I've got about five minutes here. God spoke to Ananias and said, Go anoint Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias says, What are you talking about, God? He's got a reputation. I've heard about who he used to be and who he is today. Are you sure? And God speaks to him and says, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. Remember on Sunday morning I preached that there is revival in this place because God said, I have chosen this place. And I tried to connect the dots to the fact that this place is you. Not just this building, but it's you. Know you not that your body is the temple. And when Ananias lists all the excuses of why Saul of Tarsus is not good enough because he was killing Christians, watch this. God doesn't even take one second to nullify or justify those excuses. When Ananias finishes his little exhortation on why Saul wasn't good enough, God just said, he's chosen. The world says, but you're this, but you're that. You've gone there, you've gone here, you've done this, you've done that. God says, chosen doesn't matter what they've done I chose them when he chooses you it obliterates every excuse that you can't be used of God remember the scripture Colossians 2 9 for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and verse 10 and you are complete in him all right what does that mean Outside of him, you're not enough. You're deficient. But in him, you're complete. Raise your hand if you're in him tonight. If you've been baptized in the name of Jesus, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, I've got a fresh reminder from the Lord in 2021 that if you are in him and he is in you, then you are complete. You don't need anything else. Watch. You don't need another Holy Ghost. You don't need another sacrifice. You don't need another Calvary. You are complete when you are in So he says, go, he's chosen. I don't care about the world's excuses. I chose him. So he prays for him, he anoints him. His, his blindness is, is restored back to sight. And 
Immediately, he, he fell, the, the scales fell from his eyes. And in verse 19, it says, he received food and he was strengthened. And Saul spent some days with the disciples. Some days with the disciples. Some days with the disciples. Verse 20. Immediately, he preached. Immediately, he proclaimed. It doesn't say, he got it, he's ordained, he's behind the pulpit, he's leading a church of thousands. It doesn't say that. He spent some days with the disciples. Some days. Just a few days with the disciples. And says, I believe this stuff. Let me tell somebody else. He was a Christian killer just a week before. But now that he believes, he's preaching. He spent some days with the disciples and immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Every one of you can preach that message. 21. Then all who heard were amazed and said, isn't this the one who destroyed those who called on the name and Jesus and the name of Jesus has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? <laughs> Don't be afraid when they remember who you were last week. Let me tell you something. The devil doesn't remember as much as you remember. That's why the scripture says, when my heart condemns me. See, the devil's like that police officer that caught me when I was only going 75 and missed me when I was going 95. He says, I clocked you at 75. I thought, whew, thank God. <laughs> missed me going 95. <laughs> the devil says, I know what you did. And you, in your heart, you think, no, you, you don't know half of it. <laughs> you, you only saw what you caught me doing. You didn't see me when I was in my room all by myself and when I was lonely. You didn't see that when I had the blade to my wrist and you didn't see me when I had the drink to my... You didn't see me when I was really going through a mess. That's why the scripture says when your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and knows. <laughs> There's only two people in this room that knows all things about you. That's you and Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, but when you're with me, you're complete. They remembered his past, but watch his response. Verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength. Your memory of my past is ingredients for my strength. He confounded them, the Jews, proving that Jesus is the Christ. 23, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. I don't know if I have time to get to this revelation that God gave me. Um, I might. We'll see. But keep that in your mind. They plotted to kill him. He tried to escape. Remember that? Okay. Verse 26, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, watch this now, he tried to join the disciples. 
He tried to fit in with the preachers. (laughs) But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Even the preacher said, you don't fit in here, buddy. So watch this. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Verse 31 is a little added on from last night's sermon. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified. The churches were edified. Nothing wrong with coming to church. We've got to be edified. That means instructed to grow. We've got to grow. But watch this. And walking. Were you here last night? We talked about walking in the spirit. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied. They multiplied when they walked with the Lord. (laughs) But I want to run. Oh, you'll run sometime later. Just keep on walking right now. Because running may bring us addition, but walking is going to bring us multiplication. They weren't multiplied when they ran. They were multiplied when they walked in the Spirit. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just add two or three. And I'm thankful for the one. But in the last days, saith the Lord, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. The latter rain will be seven times greater. Seven times. Not seven more. Seven times. That's a multiplication. There's going to be a harvest of multiplying. And I want to see the harvest of multiplication. Multiply us. Just for a second, lift up your hands and just receive a word of faith and strength and encouragement in the Lord to walk, to walk, to walk in the fear of God. I don't have time to continue. We're going to have to pick up tomorrow night. But there is an apostolic opportunity for every one of you in this room. It's interesting. I've never preached this part right here. I've never seen it. Haven't finished studying it out yet. 
But Paul didn't fit in with the disciples, it says. So Barnabas said, let me take you to the apostles. When Jesus in Matthew 10 says, I have sent you as sheep in the midst of wolves. And in Luke 10, he says it again. I have sent you. Go and preach. Now watch, I'll give you this. Verse 8, Matthew 10, 8. Go, everybody say go. Go. And preach. And then watch this. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Freely you have received. Freely give. Notice the equation. When you go. And when you preach. The miracles will follow. Why don't we see more miracles? Man, I'm talking to a church that sees lots of miracles. But why don't we see more? Because he says the miracles are waiting for you in the streets. Go. Preach. Then heal the sick. (laughs) Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead and cast out devils. Can you imagine a day where you become an apostle? You begin to go. You begin to preach. You begin to tell a co-worker, a friend, a family member, let me tell you that there's only one God and his name is Jesus. You bring the church to them. And Jesus says, I have sent you in this same passage. And the word sent in the Greek is apostelos. That's probably not new revelation to you. But it's apostelos, apostolic, apostle. And Paul said, I don't fit in with the disciples. But man, I fit in with these goers, (laughs) these sent ones. I fit in with the apostles. And what's so amazing to me is that in Acts 9, when he's a rookie... He's trying to escape affliction and persecution and opposition. And then when he goes to Ephesus as an apostle, he writes to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15 and 16. He tells them in chapter 15, he says, I am fighting wild beasts in Ephesus, facing my death every single day. Does he try to escape? Chapter 16 gives you the answer. I have to stay here a little longer until Pentecost because there's a wide open door of a great work here even though many oppose me. When he was a new convert, he had people letting him down in baskets out the side of a window so he could escape opposition. But when he realizes what apostolic opportunity is all about and he sees opposition, he says, I feel at home right here. Because even though people are opposing me, I see the greatest opportunity that this city has ever had before. And in Acts 16... We're just not going to have an altar call tonight, okay? 
In Acts 16, God shows up in a dream and says, don't go to Asia. Why? There's an opportunity there. There's a great church. Don't go to Asia. Okay, we'll go to Bithynia. God shows up. Don't go to Bithynia. Huh? Okay. Well, where do you want me to go? Go to Macedonia. What? There's no churches over there. He says, all right. Hey, Silas, God said, go to Macedonia. It's a big province. They, they hike over to Macedonia. They find a little town called Philippi. There weren't no churches there. Just him and Silas didn't know what to do. Didn't have a, didn't have a praise team. Didn't have a prayer team. Didn't have a huge team to go in and start a church, a startup church. Didn't have a UPC to build him a church in a day. But he found a prayer meeting. Started converting people. Lady full of a devil comes out, starts attacking him every day on the way to that prayer meeting. He just kept walking. <laughs> Till one day he had enough, turned around and cursed that devil out of her. He gets thrown into prison, beaten severely with rods, Scripture says. Thrown into the inner prison. But at midnight, watch this now, at midnight, they were praying and singing. Sometimes I like to think, sometimes I like to think they were, they were singing the Greek version of I can't stop praising his name. I just can't stop praising his name. I just can't stop praising his name. Jesus. They were shackled. They were chained. They were bleeding. They were broken. They were bruised. But they kept on praying. And an earthquake showed up. Watch this. And all the gates, all the jail cells were opened up. Remember? They got it up here. There was a great earthquake. And the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors were open. And everyone's chains were loosed. Run! Get out! Everybody, we're free! Next verse. And the keeper of the prison awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled. Because that's what prisoners do when their doors open. Well, they weren't prisoners. They were apostolics. He drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul cried out and said, hey, don't harm yourself. We're still here. Apostolic opportunity. When he was a new convert, like some of us, he thought, man, I can't, he was already preaching. And the moment somebody opposed him, he said, get me out of here. But he gets a revelation of apostolic opportunity. He sits down in Ephesus while he's literally facing his death every single day and builds a church. He goes to Philippi. Oh my God, I wish I had 10 more hours. He goes to Philippi, thrown in prison, beaten within an inch of his life. And then God miraculously frees him. But he said, no, no, no. God doesn't want us to leave. God wants us to stay in prison. And the jailer gets a light and goes down. And he asks Paul, what must I do to be saved? Watch this revelation. The same person that put the wounds on Paul was now asking how to be saved by 
by Paul. I know. I know I afflicted you. I know I cursed your family. I know I've been your greatest enemy. But every time something goes wrong, you seem to keep singing. You seem to keep smiling. Ever since COVID shutdown happened, you seem to be doing all right. My family's broken. My marriage is broken. But you seem to get stronger. You seem to grow. What's the trick? How can I have what you have? Let me tell you how to have what I have. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You need to be filled with the Holy God. Keep standing. And the end of the story, it doesn't say he took him to church. It says he went to his house. Paul went to his house where the one who inflicted the wounds was now providing medicinal needs, rubbing the wounds. I'm sorry I beat you. I'm so sorry I I whipped you. Will you pray for my family? Oh, I'll pray for your family. Bring them in here. Scripture says the whole house was saved. I feel a prophetic anointing in this place right now. Pastor Myers, with your permission, I prophesy in the Holy Ghost that there's going to be households that are converted, baptized in Jesus' name, and filled with the Holy Ghost before they ever even come in the doors of this church, before they ever hear your pastor preach, before they ever hear this worship team sing. There's households that are going to be saved. There's households. There's fam hasha. I feel like dancing in the Holy Ghost. I feel like shouting. I feel like worshiping. God's gonna do it. But somebody's gotta pick up the mantle of an apostolic believer. Every hand lifted right now. Slips your hands by the authority of the word of God. By the power of the name of Jesus Christ. I pray a Holy Spirit of disturbance. I pray a Holy Spirit of disturbance. 
to move upon every mind upon every heart upon every man and woman husband and wife father and mother and child I pray for a Holy Spirit of disturbance to shake me in the middle of the night to shake me in the middle of the day to shake me out of my complacency to shake me out of my comfort to put a burden of the Lord in my heart to bring me to a depth of prayer I'm tired of just going to church. I'm ready to go to the world. You're dismissed. We went beyond our time, but if you want to come pray, you're allowed to come pray right now. And you just want to rest in his presence for a moment. And you just want to seek the Lord while he may be found. If you want to be an apostle of the Lord, if you want to be apostolic, you're, you're allowed right now. You're invited to come to the altar. If you need to leave, if you've got a job tomorrow, school tomorrow, whatever you got, that's fine. But if you want to pray for just a moment, You're invited to come. The altar is open in the name of Jesus. May the spirit, may the spirit of an apostle rest upon you. May an apostolic spirit rest upon you right now. May a radical spirit of sacrifice, a radical spirit of evangelism rest upon every one of you right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.